Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show, where we are doing our level best, I guarantee you, to keep a sense of proportion about all that is transpiring in this great country of ours. So much that is decidedly an assault on all that we are as a nation, as a people. And that assault is emanating from our very own national capital. It all seems impossible that the damage, deprivation, and pain is the purpose of the Marxist Dems who control our capital city and the federal government that is quartered there. But Washington is a city that has turned against America. Whether it is a jury trial that rejects all evidence, testimony, and reason to acquit one of Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign attorneys of lying to the FBI, or a president whose politics and policies are undeniably the reason tens of millions of Americans are now suffering from runaway prices for gasoline, clothing, food, and products of all kinds. A president who first tried to blame Vladimir Putin for rampant high inflation and who now is turned on his own aides, advisors, and officials to blame them for the mess that he and his puppet masters have made of our markets and economy. A president that is bumbling and blustering his way, I'm afraid, to war with Russia. The man is a danger first to America and the world right now. And incomprehensibly, he hasn't been in office yet for a full 17 months. Think about that, if you will. Think about it. Not even a full 17 months. Biden hasn't been in office for even a year and a half. And already his devastating impact throughout America is being felt by almost everyone. He habitually lies. He is habitually wrong about just about everything. And he's utterly delusional and surrounded by those who are exploiting his impairment and enfeeblement for their ideological purpose. And what are we to do? That is the real question for each of us now. And I'm going to start with the hard stuff. We have to first admit that we're living on borrowed time in America. And we must not only come to our senses, but also make certain we are preparing for the national emergency in which we find ourselves. This is a national emergency. When the head of the country's largest bank says, as he did today, that we must brace ourselves for what he called an economic hurricane, it is time to listen and to prepare. And that is what we'll be talking about here on The Great America Show in the days and months ahead. What to do, what we can do, what we must do to preserve this republic and all patriots who care for their families' futures, for the nation's security and future. We have less than six months now till the next election, the midterm elections, and already there is talk of another rigged election of a passive Republican Party 
that is again slumbering when we should be vigorously engaging in our local politics, our communities, and working right now to make a difference because we can't afford another election that is no different than 2020. And we have to understand what happened in 2020 to prevent a recurrence. Our guest today is commentator, podcaster, and filmmaker, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh has produced a terrific documentary that I recommend to you if you haven't already seen it. It's called 2000 Mules. You can go to 2000mules.com. It's all about ballot harvesting, ballot trafficking, and the ways Republicans allowed themselves to be cheated in 2020. Dinesh, great to have you with us on the Great America Show. I want to congratulate you first and foremost on 2000 Mules. Uh, It's had a big impact. Uh, It's also had big impediments to distribution. Uh, tell us, tell us about the how it came to be, uh, and where you are right now with the documentary. Well, the um, this was an unusual film for me. It's number five um, of my documentaries, the fifth one, I mean, and it's the first one I released in an age of censorship. And this topic of election fraud is the most censored topic in the country. So I realized, you know, I can't do the normal things. I can't put a trailer up on YouTube. I can't advertise it on Facebook. Uh, If I put the movie up on Amazon Prime or Apple iTunes, it's conceivable they would take it down. And so I had to devise a, a, a new type of plan for how to release this movie and get people talking about a subject that is so actively suppressed by very powerful people. Um... And so that's, that's really what, what, uh, what I was up against. Now, I think on the other side of it, this is a topic that's haunted the American mind. People have been worried about it, worried about the integrity of our democracy. And I think that created a tremendous appetite for the new information in the movie. And I think that was key. This is not a recycling of old anomalies or even cases of episodic fraud. It's an effort to... Um, demonstrate through the use both of technology, uh, cell phone geo-tracking, but also surveillance video, that there's a whole side of the 2020 election that no one had really seen before. And the beauty of the movie is it sort of takes you to the scene of the crime. You're actually able to observe these mules in action, and you realize that, look, everything I thought I knew about election fraud isn't, doesn't really apply here. This is a completely new way of looking at that issue. Uh, absolutely, and the and the movie is doing superbly, uh, and that is good for certainly it's good for you, uh, but it's also good for the republic uh, because more people have to understand what is happening. In this instance, it's uh, happening in Georgia. Uh, in Georgia, by the way, uh, how surprised were you uh, that uh, the election the election board the elections board I should say. Uh, it dismissed all claims uh, based uh, on your movie uh, when, when when people are watching the evidence before their very eyes, what in the world is going on in Georgia? Well, it's important to realize if you look at that Atlanta Journal-Constitution article that is titled something like, Election Board Dismisses Allegations Raised by 2,000 Mules, mm-hmm. and then you read down into the first paragraph, you realize first of all, that they are discussing a single case. They're discussing one guy 
who is seen, by the way, on video, stuffing multiple ballots into a box. And right. evidently what the Georgia investigator did was uh, he went to try to check this out. And he claims that he was able to verify, verify that this guy was merely depositing ballots of his own family members. And now the first thing to remember, Lou, is if you know anything about elections, you realize how difficult something like this is to verify. How would he do that? The obvious way to do that is to say, okay, let's go back and look at the ballots and see if, in fact, his family members cast those ballots. But there's no way to do that, because with an absentee ballot, once you take the ballot out of the envelope, the two pieces of evidence are permanently separated and can never be joined back together again. Moreover, when an election official opens a box, they don't write down the names of voters who cast votes in that box. They merely count the total number of ballots and say we collected 147 ballots, let's say, from this box. So this guy did none of that. There was no way he's able to verify anything. All he did is he went to the actual guy himself and said, what were you doing? And that guy said, I was depositing the votes of my family members. Oh, okay, he's cleared. So if you actually know something about the topic, you realize that this is a completely questionable exoneration, even in this one case. It's not a refutation of the movie. It's not a refutation of the 242 mules. It's a single case. And even in this single case, there is absolutely no way for the Georgia election officials to know that that guy deposited the ballots of his family members. And again, overwhelming evidence. And not one, as to my knowledge, not one single effort to refute the essence of uh, the geospatial uh, targeting that you employed. Uh, to run down the mills uh, and the and the ballot harvesting, uh, has there been such well, a claim? Yeah, the remarkable thing is a lot of the fact checkers have said that geo tracking is not very accurate. We can't count on it, even though this technology is now quite mature. I mean, it's used by the Defense Department to pinpoint a target. It's used by you know every Uber driver to get exactly to their customer. A guy writes in Miami airport, he goes, I just called Uber and my phone knows I'm standing in front of gate F door 37. You know, your phone knows that. The CDC uses geo-tracking to verify people are social distancing. And if geo-tracking is not accurate to within six feet, how would you possibly even do that? So the, the genius of True the Vote, um, this election integrity group, is that they merely took the technology that's being applied in 20 different areas and said, let's apply it to ballot trafficking. And right. the left, which, by the way, has celebrated, you know, the FBI used geo-tracking to say if Mr. X on January 6th, what, was he inside the Capitol door or was he outside the Capitol door? So they celebrate geo-tracking in all these cases, except the one case where it busts this illegal cartel of ballot, paid ballot trafficking, which is, by the way, illegal in every state. The only group that I've heard uh, take that on, uh, when I said uh, attack it with uh, forensic uh, science uh, and scientists, uh, I don't consider uh, PolitiFact and all of these uh, nonsensical left-wing so-called fact-checkers fact-checkers at all. Uh, they're nothing more than uh, ready reserves for the assaults by the, the usual assaults uh, from the, the left-wing corporatist media. Would you disagree? 
No, I think what they do is they, you know, if they want to make a point, let's say geo-tracking is inaccurate, they start calling around to various professors, very often not even professors of computer science, but of like political science, until they find one guy who goes, oh no, geo-tracking cannot tell the difference between going to a Dropbox or walking by a Dropbox. Now, first of all, that's complete nonsense. Geo-tracking can absolutely tell the difference between a dot that is moving versus a dot that is stationary. And it can tell the difference between going past an object and going to that object. This is done, by the way, by law enforcement all the time. So what the fact checkers do is they shop around to find an obliging academic to say some nonsense. And then they present that as being an irrefutable fact, as if no one can possibly disagree with this clown. I, I love a headline in the Gateway uh, Pundit. Wireless services CEO destroys ignorant attacks by fake fact checkers of 2000 mules. Uh, the fact checkers don't have technical foundation for comments they're making, said he. Uh, and he is certainly right, as we're discussing right now. But the, the reality is there is a huge class of people right now who are invested in no further queries of what happened in the 2020 election? Uh, the we see the uh, the expression always the already debunked uh, the uh, falsely uh, based uh, claims whatever you you know whenever talking about uh, the the corruption of our electoral uh, system in 2020 uh, and for whatever reason it extends to our courts it extends to states attorneys general. Uh, it, it is disgusting to me to think there is this built-in establishment reflex protecting who and what. I don't know. Well, the reason it is so powerful is because to a degree it is bipartisan. And by that I mean that, that there is a substantial cohort of Republicans who are not, they just do not want to revisit 2020. I don't know if it's just partly a sense of inner relief that, you know what, uh, we got Trump out of there and that's a good thing. So in this one case, we're going to pretend not to notice. I'm not sure if that's it a little bit, or if it's simply that Republicans just don't like the hassle of fighting the Democrats in an area where the Democrats have become, you could almost call them master jiu-jitsu fighters. I mean, they've been doing election fraud since the 19th century. They're really good at it. Uh, and they've got a massive army of lawyers and funders and so on in the kind of elections industry. And it's something, you know, Republicans focus on the campaign. Let's have a rally. Let's get people to get the message out. But Democrats focus on the actual mechanics of the election. Where are these drop boxes going to be exactly? Who's going to open them up and take the ballots out? Who's going to be counting the votes? That particularity is something that Republicans are going to have to learn to pay more careful attention to. And they're never punished when they are caught uh, in, in electoral fraud or punished for not having, uh, never punished for not having Republicans uh, watching over uh, a polling place to make sure that the counts are uh, legal and lawful. Uh, it's amazing to me. Take Philadelphia, for example. We watch the, uh, and I can speak firsthand at this, we knew that the Republican National Committee would be having lawyers uh, in, in place. They're going to, they, they told us they're going to have uh, everyone uh, really uh, right up on their toes, uh, basically uh, tactical teams uh, uh, legally. Uh, it turned out to be the biggest joke. 
Uh, the lawyers were pushed away from the polls. The, the poll watchers themselves never were allowed to take position in poll after polling station all around Philadelphia. And that was happening in uh, Wisconsin. It happened as well in Michigan, Wayne County, uh, in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, you name it. Everywhere, it seemed. And I mean, look, the Republicans you know, a private never knew citizen. what to do. A private citizen, Zuckerberg, was able to put almost half a billion dollars into the elections, get all kinds of leftist activists to infiltrate election offices. He was able to strong arm a lot of counties and cities, basically saying, listen, if you want my money, you got to put a whole bunch of mail and drop boxes out there. So all of this is just um, absolutely scandalous. And um, yet it's been going on and it's been allowed and um, and it's enabled the heist that is described in 2000 mules. Um, right. You know, I think what makes the movie so strong is you've got the geo tracking evidence, which is interesting in and of itself, but it is then corroborated by the surveillance video. Right. It's almost like saying, you know, I have a guy and his phone shows that in a particular house, this serial killer showed up in so and so's apartment at 2 a.m. And then you look in the video and sure enough, there he is. And that's what we have in the movie. We, the geo tracking says that this mule is going from Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox. Now, not all the Dropboxes have surveillance. In fact, very few do. But it turns out that let's say he got to this box at 3 a.m. in the morning. You look on that box, happened to have video. You look on the video, there's the guy. And what's he doing? Looking around to make sure no one sees him. He's wearing latex gloves and he's stuffing ballots. One, two, three, four, five into the box. So this is why the movie is so powerful for people who really see it. They realize that all this nonsense about people dropping off their ballots of their family members or cab drivers driving by a drop box uh, or even election workers. Or maybe these are election workers, Dinesh, just collecting ballots. No, look on the video. They're not taking ballots out of the box. They're stuffing ballots into the box. Absolutely. And. And one of the things that Catherine Engelbrecht, who, who runs uh, True the Vote, with whom you work so closely in producing this movie, she said, uh, we were talking, uh, I've got to say, six, seven months ago, and she started talking about the dangerous people that uh, she has encountered. Uh, we didn't go into any depth of it, but making it very clear uh, that the people who are behind this and who are protecting these outrages against our electoral system in the Republic are, are sinister, uh, and they are evil. I mean, I, I agree. There's a tremendous amount of uh, <coughs> excuse me, resources behind this, and the, the left and the Democrats fight to make sure that voter rolls aren't cleaned up, and that's how when absentee ballots are mailed out, they go to a lot of people who are either dead or have moved or have graduated and moved to a different city. Mm -hmm. uh, they also fight to make sure that there's not careful signature matching. So, you know, it's like telling a bank teller, listen, don't really bother to compare signatures. Just make sure the scrawl kind of looks the same to you and then we're good to go. I mean, all of this is going to make a heist much more likely. And of course, in this case, it did occur. And we, we know that in Europe, out of 57 countries, uh, 57, only one does not have a voter identification. We pretend in this country, for whatever reason, that voter identification is a, uh, a burden too great 
uh, for minorities because they won't turn out to vote if you have voter ID. That uh, the uh, disadvantaged won't be able to afford to have an ID. This is such preposterous nonsense. It is, first of all, it's ignorance and it's bigotry of low expectations, I must say. And why do the Republicans go along with such nonsense? Only because they are, they are, they are afraid of being called racist. I mean, they know how absurd it is. The same black guy who supposedly is being deterred from voting because he doesn't, he's not smart enough to get an ID. Well, he still needs an ID to open a bank account, still needs an ID to fly on a plane or show up at the doctor. So nobody claims that that's like travel suppression or banking suppression. It's not. Um, and uh, so I think that the fact that in this one area, IDs suddenly become something so prohibitive, so difficult to get, so discouraging to women and minorities, really shows you that this is a fraudulent argument that, um, that is only sustained by accusing everyone who disagrees with it of being a racist. And 2,000 mules, what is it going to do in your, what do you expect to be the result of so many people seeing it? What impact do you think it will have in the months ahead uh, on, on the midterm elections? Well, I think it's going to be a galvanizer for the Republicans who have suspected this for a long time. There's widespread belief that this election was stolen. And what this does is it provides a kind of empirical grounding, a rational basis that, you know what, you weren't dreaming. This is actually, this is suspicion that you had for so long is actually well-grounded. Uh, number two, I think it's going to be an open question whether the documentary can make its way and be seen by enough independents and Democrats. Now, the left is trying to block that. I just saw a headline in Mediaite, and it goes something like this. We've seen this movie, so you don't have to. So the left is kind of terrified that if Democrats see the movie, they'll be like, wait a minute, what am I looking at? I don't want to win by cheating. This is horrible. And so the left is trying to block its own side from seeing the movie. And I think that's going to be a critical question. Can we get the message out in such a way that even Democrats will see the movie? Even they will know something is amiss. Yeah, it, it, there is so much amiss and so much wrong with our electoral system. And we know the courts are rejecting claim after claim after claim of of fraud, uh, of uh, conduct that's illegal. Uh, and for whatever reason, the courts are protecting the status quo and seemingly eager to do so. Why is that? Well, some of that, I think, is attributable to the fact that, that there's a very narrow window from Election Day, November 3rd, to, you know, when the electors vote in December and then when the votes are ratified in January. And so it's almost like courts need the evidence like right then. It's almost as if you were to ask, like, solve this murder in the next six weeks. So otherwise the statute of limitations has expired. Right. So I think that's a serious problem. The courts also use a principle that is sometimes known as the but for principle. But for this alleged fraud, would the election have come out differently? And so a lot of the things that were brought up right after the election were significant, but not significant enough to change the outcome. But I think that what this movie shows is coordinated fraud of such a magnitude that it is sufficient to change the outcome. It meets the but for standard. Yes, I, I, I agree.
And then you have the Attorney General, Dinesh, who actually, in my opinion, is the, the person who changed history. Uh, when in the final debate uh, of 2020, the second debate, the final debate between Biden and Trump, he knew that Biden was lying through his teeth about the laptop of his son, uh, the laptop from hell, knew the contents, uh, also then held up a phony shield of 51 uh, so-called intelligence veterans, including five former CIA directors who said it was Russian disinformation. This was one of the most well-orchestrated defenses I've ever seen uh, in disinformation of any kind. And I believe Bill Barr deserves immense blame. It didn't intervene, he said, because he didn't think that would be appropriate, even though he knew Biden was lying through his teeth to the American people and thereby intervened in behalf of Joe Biden. Your thoughts? I mean, consider the absurdity of the situation. You've got a, a DOJ under Bill Barr. You've got an FBI. You've got all the resources at their um, disposal. And yet it takes a tiny outside group based in Texas called True the Vote right. to apply the very simple idea of monitoring people's cell phones, a technology well known to the FBI, well known to the DOJ, and yet they, they could easily have done the work that led to this film. Let's think about the surveillance video in this film, which, by the way, has never been seen before it's aired in this movie. Um, it was already available to all the states because it comes from their cameras that they installed. They, they already have this footage. We don't have to give it to them. They already have it. They took it. And yet they never looked at it. So think of the level of, ne of negligence and the foolishness of these people stepping forward and pompously asserting, well, this was the most secure election in history. Nothing could be further from the truth. No, nothing could be further from the truth. And by the way, about surveillance video, many, many of those polling places and drop boxes were not surveilled, even though they were required, quote unquote, to be. And much of the video that was taken on uh, those Dropbox locations, uh, I'm sure you will agree, disappeared. Uh, we have video that's disappeared in countless places, uh, even though it's to be retained. Uh, and no punishment for that, no penalty, uh, and no consequence. Yeah, this is something that's really worried me, is that in the, in the years I've been in America, I was born in India, I had for most of my adult years a civics book idea of America, a basic trust in American institutions. I think and we've now seen that at least in, in our time, that trust is, is undeserved. And we need to put a much more skeptical eye on pretty much all our public institutions because we've, they've just let us down so badly. Yes, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. And when, when we hear these uh, pedantic and pompous uh, claims from the establishment uh, of both parties, as you point out. Oh, we mustn't interfere with the voters' confidence in the electoral system. The hell you say. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. That's exactly our role. We are supposed to be skeptical of our government. We are supposed to be skeptical of their glib answers to serious questions that go to the very heart of our republic, our democracy. And these fools want us to avert our eyes and play as though uh, all is well. Thanks to Dinesh D'Souza and 2,000 Mules, uh, there is even more reason now uh, to focus our, uh, our attention on our electoral system and do much uh, to reform it. Uh, Dinesh, 
we always give our guests here the the last word. I, I'd like to hear your concluding thoughts now, if you if you would please. Well, I, you know, I think what I'm hoping for here is that some law enforcement agency, and I'm hopeful this will happen potentially in Yuma, Arizona, will raid the so-called stash houses and will start interviewing and arresting these mules because that's how you bust any kind of cartel. You start at the bottom with the low-level operatives. You say, who paid you? Who put you up to this? Who made you do this? And that's how you work in any other area. And this one would be no different. With regard to the movie, I'd suggest people look at the website, just 2000mules.com, the number 2000mules.com. It'll show you the movie is still in some theaters. You can watch it there, or you can get it by streaming or digital download or get DVDs. But it's all in this kind of one-stop shop, which is 2000mules.com. I promised you the last word, but I do have one question that arises out of what you just said. A number of networks refused, news networks refused, to have any mention of 2,000 mules. I want to get two thoughts, uh, if I may, and I know I'm infringing on your last word, but two thoughts about why did they do that uh, and what will be the effect? Well, initially I thought it was probably due to just fear of litigation. As you know, there have been these big Dominion lawsuits. Of course, our movie doesn't deal with the issue of the machines. And so it made me think harder about what's going on, because it's very odd for a news network um, to not mention a topic at all. It's one thing to say, don't endorse the ideas of the film, but the very idea that for someone like me and I think, you know, Lou, I've been going, for example, on one of those networks every week for, for years, three years at least now. And so I'm a known uh, quantity. It's not that they're saying I don't have any credibility. It's nothing like that. It's that this, that this topic has been declared radioactive and somehow off limits. And so all the various hosts, who many of whom want to talk about it, are captive and are not allowed to do so. So I think it's a serious blow to the credibility of the whole network because you've got a network pretending to be a news network that on a critical subject will not even allow a mention, let alone discussion. And it does raise the question, what other subjects, what other names, what other titles are they forbidding? It's a question worth pondering. Dinesh, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it so much. And uh, we can congratulate you on another splendid terrific documentary, 2,000 Mules. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. The website, again, is 2000mules.com. Thanks, as always, for being with us. Tomorrow, our guest will be foremost Republican pollster and strategist John McLaughlin. And, of course, we'll be talking about the latest polling, the state of this all-important run-up to the midterm election on November 8th. Mark that on your calendar. November 8th. It's coming at us quickly. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you and God bless America.